You are listening to KPMG's Energy Exchange podcast, a podcast where we explore the path to Ireland's exciting energy future. We'll discuss the practical things we can do to unlock the full potential of Ireland as a major energy producer. I'm Colm O'Neill, and today I am joined by David Kelly, who is the Executive Director of Customer and Business Development at Gas Networks Ireland. Good morning, David. Good morning, Colm. Thanks a million for coming into us here today. Um, I thought we might just kick off with um, maybe getting you to explain you know, the role that Gas Networks Ireland plays in the overall Irish energy system. Okay. Um, so our Gas Networks Ireland, you could argue, is 250 years old. It goes right back to when the gas mains were first used for lighting. And um, I suppose Board Gosh, which more people are more familiar with, was established in the 1970s when there was a large natural gas field found off the coast of Kinsale. Uh, since then, the business through merger and through acquisition has, has developed such that Gas Networks Ireland today owns and manages and operates the gas grid, which is 15,000 kilometres of pipeline infrastructure. And it's owned by the state, it's managed by the state, and Gas Networks Ireland is a commercial semi-state in that regard. So in the, the role of gas, very simply, gas today represents 30% of Ireland's total energy. Uh, the dominant player still being oil, 50%. Uh, 40% of Ireland's heat is derived from gas. But really interestingly and quite pertinent to this discussion, in the last 12 months you've seen a lot of discussion around energy security. 50% of Ireland's electricity is derived from gas, and that's a really important uh, number. People, I think, are only waking up to that in recent months and years. It's It's been the case for quite a while, actually. But I think the outcome of the Russia-Ukraine situation and the the realities around everyone, everyone across Europe, especially considering energy security, where does the energy come from? I think it's become a dawning reality that we're, we're reliant on gas today. We're reliant on gas that ironically comes through a third country now since Brexit. Uh, 80% of Ireland's gas today comes from the UK. 20% of it comes from, from Corrib which has a lifetime probably of less than 10 years. So, so that's the, the, that's the role that gas plays, but but Gas Networks Ireland plays the role of managing all of that. So, so it's fair to say you're pretty central to the energy system here in Ireland. Today, absolutely. Yeah. And and if you and if you look at that um that that energy system and the, and um the the kind of the infrastructure that you own and operate on on behalf of the state. Um, can you maybe just describe physically where that where that exists and how it all fits together? So the grid is it isn't all Ireland for a start, and that's that's something that that uh, certain politicians are disappointed at uh, because it it traverses the main urban locations, uh, but it doesn't, for example, exist in the northwest of of the country, uh, it, right through the Midlands and right across the coast and generally a southern uh, nature to it lo- location wise um the interconnectors as you'd expect are coming through uh, you know the Irish sea and 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 they arrive into north dublin uh, and then we also have uh, connectivity into the north uh, it's worth pointing out by the way that gas networks ireland also has an entity gni uk yeah. which is responsible for the infrastructure into scotland and we supply the gas into Northern Ireland and indeed the Isle of Man. So that was obviously a, a pertinent uh, debate as part of the Brexit discussions. 
but it, it is pervasive. Um, you know, certainly within urban locations, gas would be a dominant uh, entity. It's subterranean, uh, it's underground, and it's um, it's a bit like the electricity grid in that there's a transmission grid and there's a distribution grid. Yeah. Transmission grid, a bit like the, the, the large pylons you see with high voltage cables in electricity, these would be typically stainless steel pipes, high pressure, uh, and they're uh, transporting very large amounts of energy. Um, and the distribution network is what you'd see coming into someone's house. Um, very well maintained, very safe. And uh, and the distribution network would be typically polyethylene, which is a again is is it's modern and it's safe and it's uh, that upgrade path over the last 20, 30 years has meant that we now have a largely stainless steel transmission grid and we have a largely stainless or polyethylene distribution network. So these are big pieces of infrastructure when you consider those kind of transmission elements, complex to maintain, and then it goes out into a a much broader distribution network that needs to be safe and secure. And that's that's the role that GNI plays. Absolutely. And I think that. it's it's important to note, and it's something that probably again is is isn't understood, but when we have big weather events, you know, and we have we're familiar with the beast from the east in the past and Storm Ophelia and Storm Emma, these big events, because the nature of the network being underground, it's typically well protected. We absolutely need to uh, ensure that there's power going to our above ground installations and we have all the generators on site and so on. But it's a very reliable form of energy. It's a very reliable infrastructure. Um, so much so that we have a, a, an offshoot business, Aurora Telecom, which is a, a fiber business, which runs alongside, alongside. The, the, the gas infrastructure. And again, as of today, we have 100% uptime. That's unheard of in, yeah. in the broadband space. So it's an interesting infrastructure, but very, very important. Yeah. And, and maybe if we you know, put the infrastructure to one side now for a second and, and just consider gas as, as a part of the energy system. Um, you know, I, I always think conference season gives you a sense of how thinking is moving in an industry. And if I think of, you know, the conferences that would have been running this time last year, you know, gas would have been a peripheral discussion item. You look at it this time this year and, and it's gas has come centre stage. Could you maybe just talk about that central role that gas plays? Yeah, and it, it, it's probably one of the only um, fortunate outcomes from the Russia-Ukraine situation is that there's a better understanding now of how our energy system works. Um, you know, and certainly a dawning reality that gas uh, is, is a key player but it's also a, a key, it's a key uh, vector that, that is going to be necessary as we transition to a decarbonized future. Um, I guess the maybe reason- Just develop that point a little bit because it's a, it's a fossil fuel um, in terms of the, the gas that's go, flowing through our pipes. So how is that part of the decarbonization of our- So, so it's a fossil fuel. Uh, it, it isn't part of the long-term future. In fact, our vision and purpose within Gas Networks Ireland is to decarbonize and transform the business away from natural gas. Um, we've done that before, by the way, um, back in the 1980s. And you might remember, you might be too young, Column, the gasometer in Sir John Rogerson's Quay, that was full of town gas, yeah. which was gas that was derived from coal. And we moved from town gas to natural gas. The transition took years, but we did it. Yeah. Uh, we're now transitioning from natural gas to biomethane immediately, and then to eventually hydrogen. So what, and by the way, we're not doing that alone. We're doing that 
alongside all of the other transmission operators and distribution operators across Europe and, and beyond, because it's the right thing to do as part of our climate action agenda. Yeah. But that's our core objective as Gas Networks Ireland now is to decarbonize that grid. So using the gas network as it stands, but then putting a different gas into it that is not a fossil fuel, but is a is a is a green gas. Exactly. Exactly. And it's going to take time. I mean, we're, we're already today and we have been since 2019 injecting biomethane into the, the existing gas grid. It has the same molecular qualities as natural gas. It's where it's derived from is the reason it's carbon neutral. Yeah. So it's typically derived from anaerobic digestion facilities where waste food, waste farm waste, uh, basically the material that is typically spread on land and causes all sorts of issues with nitrates and other other um, uh, impacts. Uh, it's put into an anaerobic digester. Think of it like a large composting bin. Um, it's it's liquidized, it's li- liquidated, and it's put through the the anaerobic digester. And then what's re- what comes from that process is biogas. That biogas then needs to be uh, purified and conditioned such that it becomes biomethane which is then injected or ready for injection into the grid. And, we, and this is from the farming industry, basically? It's- not just farming, uh, all waste. Okay. Um, and in fact, one of the sites uh, run by Green Gas Generations in, in, in Nurney takes uh, waste from one of the largest supermarket multiples in the country today. Uh, and and they receive truckloads of, of this waste. This is, this is food that wasn't sold. So, so it's it's then uh, pack it, They take the packaging off it. Uh, they put the, the 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 food product through a conveyor belt. It's a soup is created, and then that's put into an anaerobic digester, which um, then produces the gas. Exactly, then, which is then injected and then used within the grid. And how much how much are we um, getting from those types of processes today in terms of the percentage of our gas? Well, the royal we is. On a European basis, it's very large. Okay. Within Ireland, it's very small. Um, and today, we the government has set a target of 5.7 terawatt hours being biomethane by 2030. What does that mean? That's 10% of Ireland's current gas usage, gas demand today. Being so biomethane. Being biomethane. That, yeah. that is the objective. That's the ambition since July of last year. You might recall the, the the debate on sectoral emissions around agricultural decarbonisation and so on. So this was one of the ambitions, and again, that was um, that was published in the in the budget and and as a biomethane strategy uh, in in being being uh, developed by by both the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine, and um, DEC today. Yeah. So with that in mind, five point seven terawatt hours representing ten percent is in line with Repower EU, which is what uh, all of the other member states signed up to. In some jurisdictions, and I'll talk about Denmark a little, if, if, you, if I may, Colm, um, Denmark really established their biomethane sector in 2012, uh, standing start, um, very established gas industry. Yeah. Um, and in 2012, they put a range of subsidies in place to incentivize investors and developers to uh, get involved. And as I said earlier, 40% of their gas today is biomethane. And that's in you know, less than 10 years. But what's really interesting a bit is, is that the nature of the facilities that were put in place, yeah. and, and companies like Nature Energy are, are, are well known in this space, they've, they've built industrial energy complexes. These aren't sort of the back of a farm uh, and a, a sort of an offshoot idea. They're really, really well-managed, well-maintained, 
odorless facilities. And certainly we think there's a market in Ireland for a small number of those um, large scale, well-managed industrial energy complexes. And we, we're talking to developers in that regard. And what would that do in terms, so you talk about the target being 10%. Are, are you saying that that would take us then beyond that 10% target? Well, certainly as part of that transition that I mentioned, biomethane has a really strong role to play today. It will have a very strong role to play into the long-term future as well, but it'll probably end up being used principally in transport, heavy goods transport in particular. So, so biomethane can then be used for as a biofuel in, in, in compressed natural gas facilities. And we rolled out, we're, we'll have nine public stations live this year, and there are a number of private stations and private operators using gas, uh, uh, compressed natural gas vehicles today. About 120 heavy goods vehicles on the roads today. Um, but there's real momentum starting to build now around bio CNG. Yeah. So using biomethane to power heavy goods vehicles, and that's a really important agenda for us. Um, but but certainly what we need is biomethane. We need volumes of it. We injected 41 gigawatts last year, and that's nearly 10 times what we did the year before. So it's going the right direction, yeah. but it's still tiny in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and and, and what's, what's the, been the barrier to, um, to biomethane production here? So I suppose the, the, the obvious issue is government support and government policy has been delayed somewhat. Um, there is a renewable heat obligation that's about to go into technical consultation shortly. Very welcome, uh, very necessary. Ireland's quite behind in renewable heat uh, targets uh, versus Europe. Mm-hmm. I think it's we're running at about 6.8% or so today. Europe is 22%, so we're a good bit off the pace. So the renewable heat obligation is really important. Yeah. Um, that's going to help. Is it enough? Uh, our sense will be it's not. Uh, if we look at what the Danes did, they did it for five years. They did it to kickstart the industry. We think some real certainty and some subsidies, similar to what the wind industry would have got 20 years ago, yeah. is what's needed if we're serious about this. Okay. Um, and I think we are serious about it. So you so you see there's, there's the potential there for... You know, significant um, biomethane generation. The gap is policy, which is largely around the certainty for investors if they were to put money behind these types of facilities. That's a it's a view, and and the, an alternate view is you know some developers will argue that it's worth it regardless of the subsidies, and and I, you know I'll, certainly if I look at my own perspective and and talking to the developers, I mean we 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 read, ran an event in Ballsbridge in in November, late November. And we had a huge volume of people, 220 odd people in the room from developers to off takers to people that are genuinely interested in seeing this moving. And depending on where you are with your funding, depending on where you are with uh, your need to access capital, you know, having that certainty could be very important. If you, on the other hand, have another business and you're potentially you know, uh, looking to reinvest or looking to diversify, that's a different investment cycle. Yeah. But, but to appeal to the overarching market, our sense would be um, more needs to be done, certainly. Yeah, and, and, and following the path that's been followed before is is an obvious thing to do in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, the wind energy space. Absolutely. Um, so biomethane, obviously, uh, um, one of the green gases that could replace um, fossil fuels in, in your um, in your network. Others that you've mentioned, hydrogen. What's what's your what's your view as to how that develops? Yeah, hydrogen is really important, um, and look, our view is that 
that especially as we see the offshore wind and indeed onshore wind market develop further and hopefully resolve a lot of the planning difficulties that that that, that sector is seeing. Um, and we see some real scale, especially offshore, coming on stream. Um, because of the nature of, of renewables generally, they're intermittent. Um, the weather is the weather, you know, and there is times where, you know, if an anticyclone arrives over the UK and Ireland, you know, we don't have access to that on a constant basis. So wind using electrolysis can create hydrogen yeah. and that hydrogen should be stored and that hydrogen should be transported. The most efficient way to transport that hydrogen is through pipeline. And certainly we're part of the European Hydrogen Backbone uh, Initiative, which is across 31 transmission operators across Europe to build both a combination of dedicated and repurposed gas infrastructure to transport hydrogen at scale around Europe. Um, and that hydrogen will be used from transport through to um, you know, power gen. There's so many different you know, uses for that hydrogen. We certainly would be very, very, um, very positive about that initiative. And I think you know, one of the things that the um, that the war in the Ukraine and and the whole area of energy security brought home to us is you know, accelerating towards renewable sources of energy is the solution to our energy security. But I guess what you're talking about is in in the interim period, which is going to be a long term interim period, we need a degree of pragmatism in terms of how we um, how we might um, secure our energy um, in the in the interim. Yeah. And, and I think, um, in fairness, there's been a lot of discussion around amber alerts and, you know, you know, the idea that there could be, God forbid, blackouts or, or brownouts, you know, I across the electricity grid, you know, you know, certainly we and thankfully and genuinely, this is a, a, a touch wood moment. We've had a very mild winter um, and, uh, and and long may it last um, because we are absolutely at the pin of our collar when it comes to the gap between our planning around a one in 50 peak event. Uh, and and our ability to sustain the existing economy, Maybe a, a pin of our collar. Give me. So if I if I think even most recently in December, uh, you remember there was a cold spell mid December. Um, it was kind of a bit of a shock to the system. You know, yeah. uh, we got used to to not not necessarily having to to wear the uh, the, the puffer jacket everywhere, uh, and suddenly it got very cold. It dropped ten degrees pretty much overnight. Um, there were a few days there where the wind was non-existent yeah. and we came within one or two percent of, of that one in 50 peak. Um, now, it wasn't all over the media. It, you know, people are talking about lots of other things. Uh, you know, there was almost a complacency that our energy security issues have been resolved somehow. Also, because most of the infrastructure on the grid was live and running. Yeah. Uh, we'd seen outages in the, in the previous year. But but it hasn't gone away, you know. And so that combination of very cold weather and very calm weather puts us in a in a quite a vulnerable position still. It does, um, and and it's that perfect storm uh, to use the term where you've very cold weather, but you've very benign uh, wind conditions, and that typically goes hand in hand. So in in previous uh, severe weather situations, we found that. You know, and you remember these these very cold, snowy days where there's literally no wind blowing. Yeah. Um, the other reality is, and this is a good thing, is that the economy is still growing. You know, we're creating jobs. We've virtually no unemployment in the in the country. We have a huge amount of migrants that are that are seeking shelter on our shores. Uh, so all of that is 
driving demand. We have more people driving electric vehicles than before. So so gas is 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 rising. Demand is, is rising within that power gen space because electricity demand is rising. And that's an important point. And I saw I saw an interesting graph recently, Dave, which which mapped um GDP per capita to energy consumption per capita. And there was a very strong correlation and the and the title of the graph was there are no rich countries that don't consume a lot of energy, which which again tells you that that shift to renewables is absolutely crucial and managing that shift is crucial as absolutely. well. And I will say though, and we've seen like, and, and the government's reduce your use campaign has been quite effective. Uh, we've seen a good drop off in uh, energy use generally, and especially within gas use domestically, yeah. uh, which is very welcome. And now the problem is it's, it's being replaced with gas demand within the high heat industries, those hard to electrify industries, and also in power gen. So, so what's really welcome is people are getting it. People are absolutely mindful. They're also getting it because of the the, the issues with the the wholesale uh, energy market prices. So people are seeing bills that they do not want. So everyone's thinking about it more than they were. So maybe could you then describe for me so the gas networks Ireland of the future so it looks like a very very different um, organization but still central to the energy system here could you maybe just describe what that 2050 yeah. version of gas networks Ireland is certainly we see our role within the power gen space uh, remaining as critical actually albeit we won't be you know transporting natural gas to stations that are you know generating electricity it'll be hydrogen. Um, we see a role in transport, as I mentioned earlier. Um, initially, biomethane and biofuels creating bio CNG. That'll transition to hydrogen, uh, especially in the heavy goods vehicle uh, sector where uh, electrification isn't um, isn't viable today. Storage is a really key agenda for us. Um, and again, we know gas. We, we're, we've uh, we've been at this quite a while, as I said to you, hundreds of years. Um, and it's it's a very dangerous space. It's it, you know the safety precautions, the, the 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 regulation around all of that is something that we understand and we and we do very well. Uh, so that space is really important. The the actual transport of the gas ain't going anywhere. The gases are changing. So we're going to be changing the gas that we're transporting, but the transport of gases is still going to be a, a core business for us. We're looking at other things. Like I mentioned Aurora Telecom uh, is is a, is a really, really thriving business. I mean, it's, it's growing very well. Uh, our customers in that space are delighted to <clears throat> be able to avail of a, a fiber optic solution uh, across Ireland that is pretty much guaranteed uptime mm. uh, and unlimited bandwidth. Once you know we're providing the fiber, we're not necessarily uh, a telco in the traditional sense. Yeah. Um, we're providing infrastructure that the likes of the big hyperscalers can use, and then they can connect to their subsea infrastructure. Yeah. So really important agenda for us. And then you, you look at the, the 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 markets of the future, the CO two transport agenda, and you know one of our. Uh, uh, one of the DSOs in Denmark, Avita, have built brand new infrastructure transporting CO2 uh, across Denmark. Okay. So so there's lots of ancillary uh, services and options that we're looking at. So when you boil down your capability, it's the, it's 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 not just the pipes that go into our homes. It's a, it's an infrastructure. It's a, a, um, an expertise around the whole area of the storage and transportation of, of, of gases around the country. And, and that will be, in your view, required for, for centuries to come. I think so. And and the, the, the really key point, column is that, you know, renewable 
power is where we all want to get to. Uh, certain renewable powers have an intermittency and that's just the reality of it. So what is the base load? What is the backup in the event? What's our marriage, if you like, when one drops off, one kicks in? Obviously, battery technology is developing. It's going to be exceptionally expensive, not to mention all of the challenges around raw materials and all that goes with that. And we're already seeing that debate coming through in the electric vehicle space. Our sense would be hydrogen will be the alternate when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. And the transport of that is our bread and butter, frankly. So, David, this podcast is about exploring the path to Ireland's energy future and an exciting one that that is. Um, what are you, in a couple of sentences, what are you most excited about? And if you could fix anything, what would it be? I'm very excited about hydrogen. Um, uh, I would say that, wouldn't I? Um, uh, it is exciting uh, because you know, and I, there was the first uh, aircraft took off this week, purely powered by hydrogen. Um, now, lots of people would go when they hear that, um, yeah. because air travel is still so scary for a lot of people. Um, but the idea that that a fuel that is zero carbon that potentially could be used in any context is very exciting. Um, I, funny, I recently um, uh, acquired an electric vehicle um, and I was blown away by the driving experience. So yeah. I'm excited about that too, the quietness of it um, and the the experience generally was really powerful. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but overall, I would say I'm really quite excited and optimistic that the technology that's being developed to resolve our real challenges around climate change are becoming more and more visible every day. And I think being part of that and enabling it is the most exciting thing of all. Exciting. And if you could fix one thing, what would it be? Uh, I would certainly like to see less ideological debate and far more pragmatic debate within, not just within, you know, the policymakers, but within discourse generally. I think certainly within media, with with you know, generally across our, our discourse as a nation, um, we're very influenced by lobby groups, by NGOs that, that have a very strong voice. And not enough, I don't think, is being discussed about what customers want, what people want, what they can afford, what's real. And I think I'd like to see that pragmatic discussion and debate become more apparent. Well, hopefully podcasts like this will contribute to that. So, David, I'd like to thank you very, very much for, for joining me here today on KPMG's Energy Exchange podcast, where we discuss the practical things that Ireland can do to unlock the full potential of Ireland as a major energy producer. Thank you, David.